Welcome, and thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. Today we're going to be continuing our series entitled My Story Won't Wow You, just giving some portion of my testimony, some of my story. And you know what? I want to encourage you to share your testimony with other people. That is the most important thing that I want you to get out of this series is sharing your testimony. I firmly believe that your testimony is the biggest tool you have in personal evangelism, telling other people what God did for you, how he saved you. Let me tell you what, just by giving your testimony, talking about, you know what, when I was da-da-da, I remember that I knelt down and I realized I was a sinner, I knew I was on my way to hell, and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and save me. That's what God did for me. That is the number one tool you have in personal evangelism, is telling, simply telling other people what God did for you. And look, you don't have to know all the terminology. You don't have to know all the big words. You don't have to be a preacher. But you can tell other people what God did for you. Something else that your testimony can be effective at is your testimony can be effective at showing other people who God is. Look, there's coworkers you have, there's friends you have, there's family members you have, there's neighbors you have that don't have the same God as you. They don't get to see the same miracles that you get to see. They don't get to see the amazing things that God does because you're one of his children. And the blessings that God provides and the grace and the peace that he gives, they don't get to see that. So by you sharing your testimony... What you are doing is you're showing people and introducing them to God and who God truly is by telling the blessings that he's done. The blessings that we get to see on a day-to-day basis that are truly miracles, they don't get to see those. But by us sharing those events with them, now we are introducing them to God. But then there's a third way that your testimony is effective as well. The third way is in teaching other people. You say, how's that? Because you've seen things in your life and you've come across people in your life, and you've done things in your life that some other people haven't done. You've made mistakes. You've learned some things. You've learned from different situations. And there are going to be some people in life who can use that knowledge. They can use that information. And so by you sharing your testimony with them, some things that you have learned, then now you are helping them to be able to learn from those mistakes or how to learn and make a situation better. And so your testimony really is a trifecta of effectiveness in helping other people. And so today we're going to continue my story. And as I said, my story won't wow you. Look, I didn't come from a life of drugs, a life of booze, a life of uh, a life of smoking. I didn't come from a broken home. I came from a great home. 
And so my story doesn't have a lot of the wow factors that a lot of other stories do, but my story does have those three things. My story has the salvation where I got saved. My story has the blessings and the miracles that God has provided, and one incredible one we're going to talk about today. And then my story, I hope, is helping you to learn from some of the mistakes and some of the things that I've learned in just the short life that I've had so far. And so I pray and hope that this story and this um, this series has been a blessing to you. I pray that it has been a blessing to you. We're going to jump right in today. My story won't wow you. And if you remember last time we left off, it's been a little while since we put out one of these episodes continuing. My story won't wow you. It's been a little while. I'm not going to take time to review all that just happened. But last time we left off with my family was coming off the deputation trail, of course, being missionaries. We're traveling around all the United States and raising support to be able to go to the foreign field. We're coming off the deputation trail. This was... mm, 2009, I believe, somewhere in there, and uh, we were we were done with deputation. We had raised all the support we were going to raise. Dad was ready to go, and so we drove back down to Fort Myers, Florida, in a new motorhome. Now, if you remember when we started off on deputation, I talked about our current motorhome, a Class A motorhome we were driving in, and um, and we were driving along. And if you remember, I talked about how the thing was literally falling apart. If you sat in the driver's seat and looked down between the floor and the wall, you could see the road because the floor was separating from the out wall, the outward wall. And um, so dad went along the outside just to keep things together and took bolts and washers and, and um, actually bolted the, the wall to the floor and to make sure the thing would stay together. There was plywood on top of the roof, you know, screwed down to prevent leaks. The thing was just a mess. It was falling apart. And so I remember we began looking for a new a new motorhome, and we went to one of these motorhome dealers, one of these big ones. Like, they put you in a golf cart to drive you around all the different models. And so we went to one of these big motorhome dealers, and we were just looking, just getting an idea. And we got in the golf cart, and I remember the salesperson said, you know, you're going you're gonna to buy a motorhome today. And Dad laughed. He said, no, we're just looking. Well... He was a really good salesperson because we did drive off the lot um, with a new motorhome and it traded the old one in. You say you could trade that in. Yeah, for some reason they took it in as a trade in and uh, we walked away, uh, drove away with that motorhome, the new one, a bounder. It had a slide. That was incredible. A family of five in a full time, in a full time living in an RV finally got a slide, which was absolutely incredible. Let me encourage those of you who are even thinking about an RV, get a slide. It will change your life. And so get a slide on your RV. But we began traveling back around, keep continuing on the deputation trail. This was, I don't know, a year, eight, nine months before we finally came off the deputation trail. And uh, we were going along. I, I think looking back, I believe my dad might not have made the same decision to take on that amount of debt. I mean, it was a new motorhome, so you're taking on a fair amount of debt. And um, I don't think he would have made the same decision um, from the from what we've talked about it before. Uh, probably would have looked more in the used route, a little bit cheaper. But we took on a, uh, a loan for that RV and finished up deputation, drove back down to Fort Myers, Florida, our home, to prepare everything to um, leave to go to language school. We were going to go to Quebec City, Canada to learn French. Of course, we were going to a 
French-speaking island in the French West Indies, an island owned by France, St. Bartholomew. Now, we didn't have the same option that many missionaries have, and that's to go to that country that you're going to go to, go to the country, and then work alongside a veteran missionary while you learn the language. We didn't have that option because on St. Barth, there was no ministry. There was no missionary. As far as we knew, there wasn't a gospel-preaching missionary that had ever been to that island. And um, so we were the first ones that we knew of when we began our research, and looking back into history, we were the first ones. So that was not an option. So there was a ministry up in Quebec City, Canada, that would allow missionaries to come up and would help them in, in setting everything up and begin learning French. And so that's where we we're going to go. So we went back down to Fort Myers, Florida, and began preparing everything. We were going to be leaving the next week, and uh, Dad had had the motorhome up for sale, and it just wasn't selling. If you remember, 2009 is shortly after the market crash of 2008. People just were not buying RVs. And um, so finally... We're going to be leaving the next week. On the Saturday of the week before, a guy made an offer. He said, look, I'll offer you 24000 Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? But the problem is we owe 38000 on the motorhome. That's a difference of $14,000. Best offer we had. So what would you do? So dad took it. And he said, fine. He said, today's Saturday. We will meet Monday morning. Of course, we'd be leaving later on in that week. He said, we'll meet Monday morning at the bank, and uh, we'll go ahead and settle everything there. And in the back of Dad's mind, he's just thinking, you know, well, we'll just get a loan, a personal loan for the other 14000 God will, God will do something. We'll, we'll work this out. Something's got to work out. And um, so there we are. He agreed, shook hands, good to go, and we continued on into Sunday. In being a dad now and having three children and having a wife and providing for your family, I cannot imagine the amount of stress he was under. Um, I was just a kid then. I didn't get what was truly going on. I was 12. Uh, I mean, I, I understood, you know, I don't even know if they shared the situation so much with me, but I just knew there was something there with the finances. But, you know, God was going to work things out. That's what mom and dad said. You know, they really programmed us to believe that and by having faith, right? My parents taught us to have faith that God's going to work this out as a parent should, by the way. Okay, your your kids shouldn't see you worrying about stuff and stressing out about finances. They should say, you know what, yeah, there's there's a difficulty here, but God's going to provide. God's going to work it out. That'll lead to your children having a insurmountable amount of faith. And so there we were, went through Sunday school, Sunday morning at our home church, Winkler Road Baptist Church, a very emotional Sunday. It was our last uh, Sunday there at the church. We'd be gone for a couple of years, uh, you know, possibly two, maybe three years. We weren't really sure, and uh, but we'd be gone for a fair amount of time before we'd see our extended family. My grandparents on both sides of our family lived in Fort Myers and went to the Winkler Road Baptist Church. Uh, we would not be seeing our church family that were they were family to us. We would be seeing our pastor and our friends and the people we had grown to love and care for and, and cared about us. It was a very emotional service. And so I remember the Sunday night service. Our pastor, Pastor Don Strange, was not there that night. It was the assistant to the pastor um, who pastors in Tallahassee now, Pastor Robert Sutton. And um, I remember he was there, and he got up, and he began to um, go through the service and preached and everything. And so I remember during the service, they had us come up, and they prayed with us. And then at the end of the service, it had just been, oh, just an emotional day. He called our family up to the front and said, I want you all to stand right here. And he said, as people leave, I want you to come by, and I want you to shake their hands. And, and he said, and when you come by, 
He's talking to the congregation. He said, when you come by the Jimenez family, tell them goodbye, shake their hand, give them a hug. And he said, if you have a couple bucks that you like to put in their pocket, just stick it in their pocket, in their suit coat pocket, or hand it to them. He said, you can, be, you can do that. He said, we'd, we'd love to be a blessing to them. And so he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know about the meeting next day that we needed $14,000. He didn't know any of that. Only God and mom and dad knew. That's the only people who knew. And so as people began to come up and shake our hands and give us hugs, oh, that was so hard. Look, if you don't think about it, I don't think you realize it, or if you haven't been through it, rather, I don't think you realize what missionaries sacrifice. They are hi-ho cheerio in the pulpit. You know, God has called us here. We're excited to leave. Things are going to be great. And they are. God has called them there. They are excited. There's, But there's also a side that they're not going to necessarily share so much on the deputation trail, and that's a sign that they are sacrificing a lot of things. They're sacrificing a life in America, still the greatest country here on earth. I know all the things going on. I still know. Look, I get all the things going on. You cannot move me off the fact that America is still the greatest nation by a long shot in the world. And it's the greatest place to live. It's the most free place to live. And so let me tell you something. They're sacrificing a life in America. They're sacrificing seeing family. They're sacrificing their church family that they've grown to love and care for. They're sacrificing so much. And then the weeping that goes on when they prepare to leave, it's just something that is just a sacrifice. And so I think missionaries who are willing to take the time to make those sacrifices, wow, they are literal heroes of the faith, literally. And so we said goodbyes, and people began to stick things in our pockets, and, well, my pocket got full. And uh, people were giving you know money to Dad, sticking stuff in his pocket, and handing it to Mom, handing it to my sisters at the time, Elizabeth and Brenna. And I, I mean, we were just oh, people were handing us money all over the place. And I remember next to me, I had my mandolin case. I played the mandolin at that time. And uh, for any church members listening, no, I do not play the mandolin anymore. Don't even try it. And uh, but I remember my pockets got full, so I just started sticking the money in my mandolin case. And Brenna had a violin case next to her. She stuck it in the violin case. Beth had a banjo case. She stuck it in her banjo, and uh, mom and dad are just sticking them everywhere. And so everybody came through. Oh, just a rough time. And we went back to, I believe it was my grandparents' house, and um, began to count the money. I emptied out my mandolin case and pulled all the money out of my pockets, and there I had $300. Now, I was just a 12-year-old kid. $300 to me was, like, incredible. That was unfathomable. I had never had that much money before. That was mine. Beth and Brenna both got about $300 a piece as well, my two sisters. And uh, so mom and dad began emptying their pockets and the purse and the different Bible cases and everything. And they began emptying the money out. Now remember, 38000 is what was owed on the RV. 24000 was the offer to be sealed the next day, Monday morning at the bank. $14,000 was the difference. Now, hang on. You're you're jumping ahead of me. You're jumping ahead of the story. And uh, let me tell it. Let me finish it. And so we emptied all the money out. And there, not counting the $300 a piece that me and my sisters had both gotten, put that aside. That was, mom and dad said, no, that's yours. Um, Just what mom and dad had gotten was $14,000. $14,000. 
If you're listening and you don't believe in God, my friend, you need to get your head out of the sand. There is a God because only God could do that. Dad went to the bank the next day, got the $24,000 from the, from the guy who bought the RV, then pulled out a wad of cash, ones, fives, tens, twenties, $100 bills, and laid it out and said, yeah, there's $14,000 here that'll cover the difference. That, my friend, is a miracle. That's a miracle. There's no other way to explain it but that God just provided for one of his children in a time of need. As the song goes, that's just God doing what he does. That is literally a proof of the sovereign God that we have. And so we left later that week, drove up to Canada, drove up to Quebec, Canada. Now I've been to, and I don't know if you've been or not, but I've been to the English-speaking parts of Canada as well. It's, it's a different country, don't get me wrong, it is Canada, but many things are the same. It, it doesn't feel too different. It's uh, English-speaking, I mean, they, they, a lot of the same things. They've got hamburgers, they've got McDonald's, they've got all these different things. You know, it seems relatively the same. But when you enter and you cross the border into the province of Quebec, Canada, when you cross the border, it is like entering into a completely different country because nothing is the same. Nothing's the same. You cross over into Quebec City or into Quebec, Canada, and everything is French. Uh, you can't read the signs. You can't read the gas station pumps. I remember one of the first gas stations we stopped at, or the first, rather, the first gas station we stopped at. Dad was getting gas, and he just kept pushing buttons to try and get the gas pump to turn on and ended up buying, like, three car washes. And we went to Tim Hortons, and we played the pointing game because we couldn't actually order. So we just said, well, that one and that one, and then we'll take one of those. And and it's just incredible. It's literally entering into a different country. Now, I get it. Okay, Canada is, is a different country. Duh. But Quebec's, Quebec is just different. It's, it's a completely different language. And I remember when we crossed over, two things hit us. Number one, there was a, a darkness when you crossed the border into Quebec, Canada. Now, you may not understand that. That may not, may not make much sense to you. But talk to a missionary who uh, their mission field is Quebec. Talk to a missionary who has been in, and has ministered and has worked in Montreal or Quebec City or, or Trois-Rivières or wherever. Go to one of those missionaries and talk to them, and they'll talk about the darkness when you cross over. You say, why? Because Quebec City is one of the devil's playgrounds or Quebec, the province in general, I believe, and this is my opinion, I believe it's one of the devil's playgrounds. It's been so heavily steeped for hundreds of years in Catholicism. It's literally their way of life is the, is the Catholic Church. It's literally their way of life. Catholic funerals, Catholic weddings, Catholic um, infant baptism, everything Catholic. And uh, Catholicism is just their way of life, and the devil has a stronghold on Quebec. That's why missionaries, it is literally a life work for one, maybe two churches when they go to Quebec to get it going to where it's going to be a survivable and a sustainable church. They're dedicating the pretty much their whole life to that one really ministry because it's a hard place to serve. It is a hard mission field. There are mission fields like that. There are some that are wide open. The Philistines are, or Philistines, <laughs> the, my goodness, the Philippines, all right, Philippines, not Philistines, Philippines are exploding right now. And it's a, it's a wide open mission field. Do not get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, missionaries to the Philippines have it easy. 
I'm just saying that in general, some some fields are not as open to the gospel as others, and Quebec is one of those. And so there's a darkness when you enter over. But then, this thing that had always been kind of this myth that, ah, we'll be fine, it's not going to affect us that bad. Um, when you went to your mission board, the the missionaries who were veteran missionaries who trained you, who prepared you for the field, they talked about a thing called culture shock. And it it kind of always been this myth, you know? We're going to beat it. It's not going to be, you know, we're not going to struggle with culture shock. And I remember when we crossed over into Quebec and we began living there, we got hit with culture shock. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a foreign mission field or ever been to a different country, so this may not make much sense to you. But culture shock is this thing where you cross into a different country and you begin living there, and the people are different, all right? They're just different. They're from a different country, all right? They speak a different language. The jokes, the hu- the type humor they have is not the type humor you have. So they don't laugh at American jokes, and you don't laugh at Quebecois jokes. They just they don't make sense. The, the humor is not the same. Their food is different. Everything is in French. There's signs. There's stores. They have different things at the grocery store. I mean, in Canada, you don't buy your, your milk in a jug. You buy it in bags. All right, you buy a bag, and I think there's three smaller plastic bags, and you buy a pitcher that you set this milk bag in, and you snip the, the corner off the milk bag, and you pour your milk out of a bag. I mean, things are just different. And when you go over, it shocks your system culturally. All right, I'm an American. You cut me, I bleed red, white, and blue. I bleed hamburger juice and, and fry grease, and um, I'm just different. I'm an American. I, I love singing the Star Spangled Banner and God Bless America, and I love, uh, I love America. That is my country. And uh, when we crossed over, it shocks your system culturally because you don't eat the same food they eat. Now, there's some similarities, don't get me wrong, but you don't, in general, you don't eat the same things they eat. You don't talk the way they talk. You don't speak their language. You, don't, you can't read their signs or their books or understand what they're saying. You, um, just frankly, here's what I've found, and this may not be true of every area, but the Quebecois people weren't as friendly as I'm used to. All right, and in my neighborhood in particular, you would wave hi to somebody and they would not wave back. It's just, it's different. And when you get up there, the culture will shock your culture that you're used to. And it makes you feel alone. It makes you feel like you're the only one. It makes you feel like nobody understands what you're going through. It makes you understand like nothing is ever going to go back to normal. Culture shock is tough. If I've got missionaries or missionary kids listening out there, look, don't, don't, uh, culture shock is real. It's not a myth. Now, yes, God is going to give you grace to through it. We made it through, amen. God's going to give you grace. You're going to make it through, but it is a real thing, and it's going to hurt. You're going to feel lonely. You're going to wonder if you're ever going to be able to make it through. There will be days where all you want to do is just go back home. Have you ever, I don't, listeners out there, have you ever been to a camp as a kid or something? And by day five, day six, you just wanted to go home. Just take me back home. That's the way you feel as a missionary. I just want to go home. It's tough. It's tough. So I remember when we crossed into Quebec and began living there, culture shock hit us and the darkness hit us. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, We enjoyed our time as Quebec. I can look back to Quebec as being one of those times where we just grew closer together as a family. 
Um, we just grew closer together. We just, man, we just, culture shock caused us to draw together closer as a family. And don't get me wrong, we were a close family before that, but I can look specifically back to that time in Quebec and point to it as being that thing that just helped to bond us even closer. Because when the feeling of loneliness hit, we would turn to those because we weren't alone. And by turning to our family members, it really helped us. And so we had a wonderful time in Quebec. Don't, do not get me wrong. Not everything was bad in Quebec. It was a hard time. and um, But we had a great time. I loved where we lived. The neighborhood that we lived in was safe. I mean, mom and dad would let us. You know how um, people from the generations before us would talk about, you know, our parents would let us get on a bike and we could go wherever we wanted. In Quebec, that's what my parents let us do. We could get on our bike and go wherever we wanted. Um, my two sisters and I, we'd get on our bikes and we'd go down the streets and go down the roads and go into town. It was just a safe area. Now, I don't know if it's still like that, but back in 2009, ooh, 12 years ago, it was that way. It was an enjoyable. It was, Quebec is a beautiful place, especially during the springtime and, you know, they're two weeks of summer. Um, it's a beautiful place, the greenness and the rivers. And oh, man, it's a beautiful place to be. Um, I love the snow. All right. I, I'm a, you've heard me say before, I'm a big snow guy. I, we learned to love poutine. Now, I don't know if you've had poutine. I do not know how this is not an American thing, but it's literally French fries topped in gravy with um, cheese that is, oh, it's unpasteurized. That's the term. It's unpasteurized cheese. So when you bite these cheese curds, all right, these these big chunks of cheese, when you bite these cheese curds, they squeak in your mouth. If you've never had it, you you do not understand what I'm saying. But if you ever go to Canada, go to Chez Ashton and uh, get poutine, and it's incredible. And so we learned to love that. We learned to love St. Hubert's. It's a restaurant, a, a rotisserie chicken. Oh, they had great gravy. You would dip the, everything in gravy. I enjoyed visiting the historical city um, of Quebec City. I believe it's the oldest walled city in Amer- or in, Amer- in North America. And it may be in the world for all I know. I'm not sure, but I think it's the oldest walled city in North America. Uh, you get, we got to see the Chateau Frontenac, a, a very you know famous landmark. Got to see a lot of the things that you would go to sightsee within Quebec City. And so that was great. We enjoyed our time in Quebec City. And so we got involved in the church there. And I tell you what, that was tough. And because um, here's the deal, I don't speak French. Well, I didn't then. I, I can speak now. How do I answer that? I can speak a little bit now. I can understand more than I can speak. But we got there. I didn't understand anything. And so here we are. Can you imagine sitting in a church service? It's the normal length of, you know, an American church service. So you got, you know, an, an hour for Sunday school, an hour and 15, an hour and 20 minutes for Sunday morning, an hour and a half for Sunday night. And you don't understand a word of what's going on. Like, the only way you know to stand up is everybody else stands up. And, I mean, that's tough. And I'll I'll be honest with you, nothing against the preacher there. He was a wonderful preacher. And I heard him speak in English, and a great preacher. But, man, I had a tough time staying awake because I did not understand a word of what's going on. It is tough. And you had to learn to feed yourself spiritually. You had to learn to get something out of the Word of God and, and eat from your devotions. And because at church, you know, as far as the services, wasn't an option so much because you couldn't understand what's going on. And I remember, you know, we began learning, my sisters and I began learning French, but one thing they do is they teach the kids all the easy words. So we learned lapin is bunny. Yeah, we learned, um, 
uh, a bunch of different things, um, a bunch of different words. We learn the words for lettuce and broccoli and the different animals and for a dog and for a pig, a cochon. And we learned all these different words, but the problem is if the preacher if the preacher didn't preach on vegetables or animals, I did not know what's going on. And that was tough. My parents began going to language school during the week and we would go with them and we would we had a wonderful language school teacher, Madame Claire, and she did a wonderful job at teaching our family French. And um, but we would be there and we'd sit at her dining room table and we'd do school while my parents were in language school and learning from them. And so we had a wonderful time there in Quebec City, Canada. And what I'll do is in our next um, in our next episode, I'll pick up from right here, our time in Canada. And I don't have a whole lot more to share, but there are a few things I want you to understand what missionaries go through and when they go into a foreign country. Before we leave today, I do have a listener from our time in Canada and one of our dear family friends. Her name is Madame Estelle. And so, Madame Estelle, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are, you've mentioned the podcast, and that's been a blessing to you. I just want to thank you for being a listener, and thank you for while we were in Quebec, just being a blessing to our family, helping us get adjusted, helping us to learn some of the finer points of the culture, and introducing us to a lot of great things that Quebec had to offer. And so I thank you for that. Thank you for being a listener. I just wanted to give her a shout out. But for today, that's all we're going to talk about. We'll pick up next time where we share another episode of My Story Won't Wow You. My friend, share your testimony with other people. Share it with other people. They need to hear the miracles like the one I shared before. They need to hear the miracles you're seeing in your life. And then they need to hear the things that you've learned. For missionaries out there, hey, I am so thankful for you. Please don't give up. Please don't give in. There are people in other countries who need you. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be tough. Don't give up. God's got great things ahead. And God will give you the grace to make it through. And by the way, Going into a foreign country, yeah, it can be tough at sometimes, but it's an adventure. There are so many fun and exciting things to do and to see and to take part in and ministries that God wants you to serve in. So it's not all a doom and gloom thing. There is a great, great life God wants you to live if you'll just follow Him in the center of His will. That's where you need to be a listener, in the center of His will. Stay there and follow Him. As you do, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.